0: Welcome to Founders Uncut, the podcast that goes beyond the romanticized founder journey to discover the moments of vulnerability and doubt that even the most successful founders face. I'm Maria Palma, General Partner at Kindred Capital. Here with me today is Flori Marquez, co-founder and SVP of operations for BlockFi, which is bridging cryptocurrencies to traditional financial and wealth management products for both institutional and individual investors. The company today is valued between $4 to $5 billion, has over 600,000 retail investors, over 350 institutional investors, and has 850 employees. If you think her journey seemed easy, I assure you it wasn't. The startup journey is never the easy, straightforward path it appears to be from the outside. So let's dig a little deeper and uncover the real story on Founders Uncut. The year was 2021, and BlockFi had just raised their Series D. They were gearing up for more growth when the regulators from the state of New Jersey issued a cease and desist order to shut down their interest bearing product, one of their flagship products, all over the US. That issue got extended multiple times.
1: When you zoom back, the startup path of a successful company can sometimes look like it was just up and to the right the whole time. But there are many moments along the way which are um, not picture perfect or not exactly what you planned for your year. And I think um, the summer of last year for BlockFi was one of those moments where um, we had done an amazing job planning. We had product plans slated for later that year and right in the middle of the summer, um, we got the cease and desist order from the state of New Jersey. And on one hand, um, we were prepared for this because we're a company that uh has really prioritized uh regulation and trying to understand not what the rules are today, but how will they look in the future. So we'd actually done a lot of work to try to figure out how these products should be regulated. However, um we were not expecting the state of New Jersey um, to basically interact with us in that precise manner. And so we've been through a lot, you you know, four and a half years ago, it was just me and Zach. And now we're 850 people today. And there is a playbook for when something surprises you as a founder, um, which is how do you react to incident response? Um, You think about what, how do I carve out a specific team to handle this challenge that's facing us? Um, What do I message to my team? And then what do I message externally? And all you can do in moments um, of unexpected chaos is to go back to that playbook. So the first moment that um, I realized this was happening, I think there's this moment as a founder where you're trying to figure out, okay, okay, some sort of incident just happened, how long will the impact be? Or how long will it be until I get a resolution? And I think for this challenge in particular, it was very difficult to understand, you know, how how long this journey would become for BlockFi. Um, and that, you know, it wasn't something that we could just resolve in forty eight hours.
0: Yeah, it turns out regulatory processes in general, but especially with new asset classes and new industries, um, don't have the most straightforward timelines and or predictability. But I think the hard part about that, too, is there is some discretion required, right? You can't just openly say what's going on with regulatory conversations, but you also have a team that you need to motivate and need to feel like there's a clear sense of purpose and vision going forward. So how do you manage your team and how do you message, as you mentioned, during such a time of uncertainty?
1: I think 2021 was a very interesting time to be a leader because in the beginning of the year, we experienced hyper growth. So we had two months in a row where we had had 50% month over month growth. And then you cut to the back half of the year where um, as leaders, I had to figure out how do I manage this team through uncertainty? And I think hyper growth and uncertainty are both challenging um, things to manage through. But in some ways they're equally challenging um, because at BlockFi, we've hired a a team that is built of racehorses, right? Like we like to build, we like to get there first, we like to do it better than anyone else. And the second that we reach a milestone, we don't even really celebrate. We just look at what's the next thing and um, uncertainty for us was a new skill that we had to learn how to flex, which is patience and um, waiting for clarity. And from a leadership perspective, I had to figure out, okay, um, we're an extremely transparent company. Uh, We like kind of giving our um, employees and our team as much context as possible for why are they doing their job and, and why is this important and how does this play into the greater story for BlockFi? And so when you enter into regulatory conversations, the constraint and the difficulty is that we're very limited in what we can share with a broader team. And so the two things that we had to learn were patience and how to thread the needle between providing the team transparency and security that we were working on a solution that, and that we had a path forward without really being able to share those details.
0: Um, and. That must be super tricky to to find that line.
1: It was, yeah, it definitely felt like a tightrope. And um, I'll say that uh, our GC, who I'm very close with, and I both came up with um, very creative metaphors. Like it was a lot of metaphors throughout <laughs> the last six months. Like, you know, we're in a forest and we can see the clearing and we're walking towards it. Or um, we also use like bridge analogies. Like, you know we we can see the cliff that we need to get to, and we're building the bridge, and we're halfway there, and then, as we got closer, it was I would use level. so I just made up you know from one to five, like we are at level two point six, and by next week, I think <laughs> we'll be at level three out of five. So you know, really- did you ever go up... like
0: down a level like you go from two point six to three down to like one <laughs> there's there's
1: no down at block by. there's just forward. so um, <laughs> internally, I think there are definitely days where. Um, you know, there there you get an update and you're like, oh man, did we just take you know two steps forward and one step back? Um, but I think in the grand scheme of things, every single day that you are working with regulators towards a solution is another day where both both parties have more information. So there really is only forward. So when it came to managing the team, Um, at the core, it was basically being able to communicate, we have a path forward. And then I thought about, but how do I provide direction for my team and what they should be doing over the next six months? Um, and so that direction for BlockFi was we're going to do our chores, right? There's not a lot of Mm -hmm. stuff that we can do externally, but there's a lot of things that because we're a rapid growing startup, you know, we've like. Not put not put everything away, not put all our toys away for the last you know few months, so this is a perfect time for us to look internally and really make sure that we've gotten our house in order as well as we can, so that at the moment that we have regulatory clarity, we're just ready to go,
0: yeah, and tell us about that. you had a huge announcement on Monday that you have a landmark resolution with both state and federal regulators, so tell us about that,
1: yeah, so we're very, very excited that we finally um really for the first time in crypto's history for this specific product, reached a settlement with the SEC. And what's very exciting about the settlement is that it not only deals with the past, but it also offers a clear path forward for BlockFi to continue providing interest-bearing accounts to our U.S. clients. So at the core, our one goal was for U.S. clients to be able to earn interest in the U.S., and the settlement that we've reached actually contains um, information that set, that basically outlines BlockFi's intention to register um, the interest-bearing account product um, formally with the SEC. It will be called BlockFi Yield, and that will allow us to offer interest to U.S. clients um, in a registered manner. And it's anticipated to be the first ever SEC registered crypto interest bearing security. So we're really excited that we basically did all this work and have been able to carve a path forward, not just for BlockFi, but for any entrepreneur who's looking to build in this industry. We now have guidance in terms of how these products should operate in the US. And I think that's extremely exciting because for some time there was this question, Bit of you know, would we be able to keep innovation related to blockchain technology in the U.S. And I do think that this announcement is a marker that crypto is here to stay.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic. I think it's really exciting, and you know, I've talked to a lot of crypto founders who are like, I I need some regulatory clarity so I know what I can build and I know where where the, where is the edges of the sandbox in which I can innovate, right? So, um, what advice do you have to founders, be it in the crypto space or just financial services, healthcare, anyone in a regulated space when they're building, should you engage with regulators on day one? Do you wait? Like how does how does it work?
1: I don't think there is a clear playbook for it because it depends on the product and it depends on, you know, has it existed before or not? So for example, my experience figuring out the regulations for a US dollar loan product, which is where you can borrow against your crypto, and access a US dollar loan. Um, That was a bit simpler because the framework already existed for that type of product. um, And the challenge was just introducing regulators to crypto for the first time. I think what was difficult about the interest account in particular is that there, there weren't many other products that looked like that before BlockFi entered the market. And so when it comes to financial services, um, my best advice is to always be thinking ahead because financial services or any regulated industry, it's not a question of if you're going to get (laughs) rules, it's a question of when. And so from day one, making sure that compliance um, and regulatory awareness are part of the DNA of your company um, is the best thing that you can do because as rules change or shift, if your entire company has been built around understanding that there are rules that we have to play by and, and make sure that we're always paying attention to what those are and shifting our processes or reporting to make sure that it's clear um, or or that we're sta- we're holding up to the standards that other industries have to hold themselves up to. Um, it becomes much more fluid to be able to, you know, update what your company needs to do based on your size and and what regulators are asking of you. So the best advice for financial services or any regulated industry is one, think about it from day one. And two, um, just hire people who know how to do it, right? It's like, know what you know, know what you don't know, and make sure that the second that you have enough funding to be able to bring in executives who have done this before, you're bringing in that talent because they're the ones who will help you look around corners and think ahead and who have seen, you know, the different ways that that things can play out.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about how you build the team, right? Not just in that dimension, but hyper growth really meant hyper growth for you guys in the pandemic and in the kind of crypto run up. As we know, there's many crypto run ups and then crypto winters. Um. What does hypergrowth look like, and what lessons do you have in terms of how to build teams successfully as you scale massively?
1: So, hypergrowth throughout a pandemic um, was definitely something that was a first for many founders. And I think at BlockFi, we have always been rigorous in our hiring. Um, and I think that that's really served us well transitioning to hiring remotely because at our core the team that we had going into the pandemic was really aligned with our culture and values and so as we were hiring remotely um that each interview panel was able to filter through candidates to really understand who would be the right fit even though it's i think much more difficult to interview candidates remotely than it is in person um and so uh I would say that, you know, making sure that your first hundred hires are really aligned with how you'd like to build as a company and what your core values are is extremely important because you never know when you're going to get hit with a global pandemic. Um, and I think hyper growth is extremely challenging for founders because you have to have a lot of self-control to not overreact. Um in the beginning of the year, when we had 50% month over month growth, two months in a row, that was very difficult for us to handle as a team because we are used to serving our clients with the utmost level of excellence. And what happens when you grow that fast is one example is you don't have enough client service people to pick up the phone. But my, my client success team is used to picking up every single phone within a few seconds and getting that 90% CSAT week after week. And so it can be very demoralizing on an individual level to go from high-performing team to one that is missing calls because we just don't have enough people to keep up with the volume. And so again, kind of going back to threading the needle, the thing that is challenging through hypergrowth is figuring out how do I adjust for the experience or the growth that we're having today, keeping in mind that it might continue, but it also might slow down. Um, yeah. and there's huge risks as we've seen with a lot of the pandemic darlings of overreacting to that growth and over and assuming that you're just going to keep growing at that speed when in reality, looking back on it, it was just a moment in time that slowed down. Um, so I think as a founder, um, you know, it's important to not overreact to situations and to always think about. How do I solve the short-term issue, keeping in mind that the factors around me might change in six months? And then I'm setting the company up for success, not just today and in the short term, but in the next six to 12 months. So if you overhire very quickly, that's going to change your culture and you're not going to onboarding for those new employees is going to be fundamentally different than what it was for the other employees, right? There's a lot of factors involved besides just reacting to a moment in time and hyper growth.
0: Yeah. And as you go from those first hundred to many hundreds, how do you articulate the vision consistently? Right. Cause I always find that that's a, that's a specific challenge because it's so clear in your head. And sometimes by the way, it's not clear and it's changing all the time, but when you're hundred people, you, the, or even 20 people at right, the information channels are pretty clear, but as you get remote and as you get to hundreds, how do you make sure the vision is clear for people consistently?
1: Um, two things, I think defining Taking a lot of time to define your culture and values early on um, really pays off. So the sooner you can do that and very clearly define values um, in a succinct way, because sometimes companies will be like, here are 10 core values. And it's like, no one can remember 10. So you need to come up with four and you need to come up with things like one of ours is Transparency Builds Trust and it's hashtag TBT. Great. Very easy to remember. I understand what this means, um, and the second thing that was uh, you know that I learned is just repeat yourself over and over and over again. When you're a small team, there's no need to repeat the messaging as much because um, you know if you're twenty to fifty people, every single person in your office sees you on a daily basis and understands, this is how I should be working, this is how I should be leading, this is how I should present myself. This is what this company values. Um, when you're breaking through 200 people and it's fully remote, um, remembering that a lot of those new employees haven't heard you, you know, wax poetic about your values before. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it's okay for, you know, to, to really instill, um, healthy habits as a founder. For example, one thing I do is we have the values of the month and at every single all hands, we have one slide. That's the value of the month. I switch it every month that we don't go in order. I'd like to you know, <laughs> keep people on their toes. And I explain a different part of what that value means and how you can enact it. Um, and so just making sure that you're constantly repeating yourself and re-explaining so that everyone that's new and joining understands what matters and how to be successful.
0: Yeah. And let me ask you about a choice you made actually. Um, You are the co-founder. You've been there from day zero. You could have called yourself the COO if you wanted to, but you're the SVP of operations. You know, why didn't you give yourself the COO title? And you do have a COO in the team now. You know, why didn't you give yourself that title? And how'd you think about that?
1: From day one, Zach and I knew that there was a chance that if this business really took off, that we might want to bring someone on who had done operations at scale for a thousand plus company before. And so while I was the de facto COO, um, I actually really enjoyed keeping the title of SVP of operations because I also think it's very important to be self-aware as a founder and to know what you don't know. And the skill sets that it takes to build a company from zero to one are very different from the skill set of building scale from one to 100. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, it's always been very important to um, be aware of the of, of my weaknesses and what have I not done yet? What do I not know how to do? How can I learn that? What can I be adjusting? What, if, what could I be doing better? And I think leaving an opening to bring in a COO at the right time um, was always a part of that self-awareness. And I'll say that on the investor and on the hiring side, um, people love it. People love the self-awareness and um, communicating humbly, you know, here's here's what I'm great at and here are what my strengths are and here's what I'm open to learning from others. And I think as we're hiring, for example, C-level executives with 40, 30 years of experience, hearing from a young founder that, you know, I'm open to learning from others, I think is a huge selling point. Um, not for both executives and investors.
0: Yeah, it's massively important for anyone on the journey, right? Investing or or founding just to humility is highly, highly underrated. Um, Let me ask you about, you know, I've I've been really early in the crypto space since 2015. We saw each other at a lot of the early events, and I'm super lucky to know a lot of incredible females in the crypto space and have actually backed some great female founders like the force that is Elizabeth Stark at Lightning Labs. Um, But there aren't as many female founders in the crypto space as one would like, or certainly not as many as I would like. Um and v- even fewer who have scaled incredible companies and growth in the space, so you know thinking of yourself as a one of those role model female founders in the crypto space, do you think it's something worth pointing out and talking about, or how do you think about it?
1: Yeah, I think we definitely need to talk about it because my hope is that by leading by example other women who are looking at the space or thinking about starting a company take, look at me or, or Elizabeth Stark and say, yeah, I think I could do that. Or I would like to do that. Or that seems like a, a, an interesting opportunity or something that I, the direction I would like to take my career in. And I really believe that you can't be what you can't see. And so the more examples we have out there of women successfully leading companies in this industry. I think the more, um, hopefully, uh, the more women will ignite into becoming entrepreneurs themselves. Um, Really early on, I was very uncomfortable with public speaking. And the only reason why I have spent uh, years and years and hours trying to learn how to communicate and tell my story as a founder is to inspire others to take that leap of faith, because I think that's really my responsibility. Um, There are just so many stats um, about just the lack of representation of women leading companies. Like in 2021, female founders just secured 2% of investment in the US um, with female founders of color receiving an even smaller sliver.
0: Yeah. If you so, look at founders of color, Latina founders, it's it's much smaller even, right? Yeah. And, and you actually and, are a role model on more than one dimension, right? So <laughs> you're, both of your parents are immigrants. You're actually ESL, which no one would know based on your English. But um, can you talk about that for a minute? I Politics aside, I think there's lots of stories people have in their heads about immigration these days. But um, little known fact, 55% of the U.S. unicorns actually have immigrant founders. And I'm curious if having parents that were immigrants to the U.S. changed your view on how you see the world?
1: I think that being um, ESL and speaking two languages is, I joke that it's how I started off my entrepreneurial um, career because when I was five um, and I was going to start kindergarten, my mom just sent me to school not speaking Word of English. And so I landed there, and very similar to a startup, I was like, I have no idea what's going on, but I'm just going to figure this out. (laughs) Um, So I think that that's kind of where I learned how to, you know, go into any sort of situation with an open mind and just trusting that, like, you can learn how to do things. Um, And I do think that something interesting happens when you can speak two languages. Um, So I think, you know, I learned how to see the world in different ways. And I learned how to, how to you see the gaps in language and communication and like how an idea represented in English doesn't translate exactly to Spanish. And so by speaking two languages from such a young age, you really learn how to look at the world through different lenses. And I do think that that gave me more of an open mindset. And I think that plays into um, a lot of the challenges of being a founder, which is not just looking at the thing right in front of you, but always in, analyzing like, what are the risks? What are the other ways to think about this? What else should I be taking into account?
0: How long did it take you as five-year-old Flori to actually be able then to communicate and learn English with everyone else in school?
1: <laughs> I, <laughs> I I have no idea, and I actually it took me a while to realize that I probably had a Spanish accent for a period of time growing up. Um, I definitely have memories of being in first grade and like a kid dropping a word like stinky and me not being not knowing like what does stinky mean. <laughs> um but I think I think by the time I was 13 uh it was pretty seamless.
0: Yeah. No, I, th- I think it just definitely challenges you a different way. I, I have learned some other languages, either because I've been founding stuff in other countries or actually for my um, mother-in-law as well. And it is uh, certainly not an easy journey. Um, let's break a little fundraising myths for a minute. So it seems like a foregone conclusion that this would have been easy to back. You're incredible. The value prop is there. But you know you raised very early in the clarity around how quick ad- adoption in the crypto space was going to take off and through cri- crypto winters. How were some of those early fundraisers for BlockFi?
1: Um, not easy at all. And I think the worst part about being a first-time founder is that every time you hear no, you feel like my business is dead. I'm making a mistake. (laughs) Um, And it takes a lot of no's to realize, no, 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 your vision is your vision. They just don't get it. You got to keep going. Um, And your model can change and adapt over time. Um, So the, the issue with fundraising at the beginning was that, Crypto VCs didn't understand the financial aspects of our model and the fintech VCs didn't, you know, we were the first crypto company in many fintech VCs portfolios. Um, So kind of selling, you know, the wild crypto (laughs) idea into a traditional fintech was definitely a challenge. Um, You know, even, for example, the US dollar product that I mentioned earlier, trying to explain to someone that, you would never have a loss on that product because you can sell the crypto at any time to pay back the loan. That was a, an insane idea to pitch to someone in 2017. But here we are, um, you know, four years later and the models held up.
0: Yeah, no, that's incredible. I'm I'm glad you made it through those rounds. And it is funny. The nose definitely are super painful. I was just talking to a friend this morning who had a founder friend who got like 75 no's and they were like, our motto became just one yes. And it's true. I guess that you just need one yes at each stage and you live to see another day. Um, Well, I want to be mindful of your time, but last question for you. I mean, the journey has so many ups and downs, right? Whether it be team ups and downs, fundraising ups and downs, regulatory ups and downs, all sorts of interesting paths you can go. So how do you stay sane in the journey and what do you give up?
1: I think that in order to stay sane, you have to do something you love with people you love working with. Um, And I think surrounding yourself by humans who you genuinely enjoy seeing every day, that is fundamental to get through the good and the bad times. Um, And I think uh, to keep me sane, I also really believe in having like structure outside. So, you know, I rely on my therapist and my trainer and like set time aside for myself Um, and also remembering that it's a marathon and not a sprint. So um, if you're an entrepreneur, you probably have a really hard time putting work down, but it's so important to take every single break when you have a moment to rest because you never know what incident or chaos is going to hit you next. Um, so understand that, you know, don't feel guilty for taking breaks when you have the ability to do so, because it's so important to always be like as charged up as you can to handle the challenges that will inevitably come your way.
0: Yeah. It's hard to maintain your own energy levels. Right. And I think I'm a huge fan of therapy as well. I think it just keeps you honest and keeps you growing and trying to be the best version of yourself you can be. And what do you, I know I said it was the last question, but one more, um, What do you give up as a founder and what makes that sacrifice worth it in the end?
1: I think that starting a company in my mid-20s, I was definitely cavalier and believed, you know, you can do it all. You don't give anything up, right? Just start it and then everything else will just fall into place. Um, But I didn't realize that running a company is very different than working at a company. Um, It is a part of you and you are responsible for it 24-7. And what that means is that even if you might have the time after work to see your friends, you will have a lot less energy. And um, one of the things that you give up in order to be able to build something where you're putting your heart and soul into it is a lot of time. I missed out on a lot of time with my friends. Um, And thankfully, I have a very strong core group of friends and I really invested into the people closest to me. Um, But it's something's got to give and you can't do it all. And it's not just a time thing. The energy that it takes to run a business is very, very different than the amount of energy it takes to work for someone.
0: Yeah. Great. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, it's, It's clear from all the energy and passion you have for BlockFi that it's so worth it for you. And thank you for sharing your journey with us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So thanks, Flori, for being here. If you guys are interested in joining a great crypto company or just investing in crypto, check out BlockFi on blockfi.com and be sure to follow at Founder Flory on Instagram and Twitter so you can continue following Flory's journey. If you want more stories like this, go to www.kindredcapital.vc forward slash And as always, if the journey is hard you're not doing anything wrong and you're not alone. It's just really hard to be a founder. Even the most successful founders face moments of fear, doubt, and unbelievable difficulties that never make the headlines. So thank you for being with us today. And if Flori's journey resonated with you, join us for more stories like this on Founders Uncut.